For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. Thirtel Radio for Thursday, December the 9th, wherever you are across the street or around the world. Thrilled that you are joining us. Thank you for taking the time. We sure appreciate it. I hope as we enter into the holiday season, you and yours are well and happy and merry and bright. And to that effect, later on in the show, we're going to be talking to our friend Brian O'Nolan, who's been writing about holiday music and his piece about bad Christmas music and bad Christmas songs has been causing a bit of a stir, so we're going to talk to him directly about that a little later on. But first, let's start with wars and rumors of wars. There's a lot of talk going on about what's going on in Russia right now. Russia and Ukraine is in a state of conflict. Now, in the news cycle, folks are talking about Russia is threatening to invade Ukraine. Let me stop you right there. Russia has already invaded Ukraine. Russia uh, attacked, invaded, and took over the Crimean Peninsula from Ukraine. Uh, They have had multiple excursions into Ukraine since. They have threatened their border ever since, and now they're doing so again. Uh, We've seen this before. They also did it in Georgia under the Putin regime. Vladimir Putin is a bloodthirsty dictator. He cares about nothing but his own power. Modern-day Russia under Vladimir Putin and his oligarch friends is not a traditional country and stay as we think of it. It is a dictatorship. It is ran as a criminal enterprise through these oligarchs, and it has the trappings of a state around it. Meanwhile, the Russian people have to suffer underneath him. This is the background of what you're dealing with when you're dealing with Russia under Vladimir Putin. The Russian people are suffering under him. Let's not forget Vladimir Putin likes to publicly kill journalists in other countries. He did so in the UK and elsewhere using a method of radiation poisoning that could be traced directly to them so he could smile and nod at the camera and say, all that wasn't us, but the only people in the world that does it. So he wants to make sure everybody knows that he did it. This is who Vladimir Putin is. I say all that for this reason. When we're talking foreign policy, you never, ever, under any circumstances, need to hand it to Vladimir Putin. I don't care what he thinks. I don't care what he feels. I don't care about his propaganda tools. He's a bad person. He's a bad man. He's done evil against all humanity and specifically against the Russian people. And he will continue to do so as long as he draws breath in his wicked little body. This is who this man is. He wants to destroy things. He wants to instate Soviet-era domination over anything he can get his grubby little hands on. By some accounts, he may be personally one of the richest men in the world with his hidden assets and the way that the nation of Russia is built as basically a giant gangster organization funneling money to Putin and his supporters and cronies. This is what we're dealing with when we're talking about Russia invading other countries. This isn't a normal state. 
Now, let me pause right here for something, because a lot of our friends, some that I greatly respect and admired and want their opinions on things, will probably disagree with a lot of what I'm getting ready to say. So let me couch it on a couple of things. I don't like war. I hate war. I hate war on a personal level that I won't delve into here. I don't wish I wish there was never any conflict or war anywhere. But we're also all adults here. So let's deal with something in the history of humanity and especially modern history. Peace is the exception. And war is the normal thing that is going on because people always fight and nations are just big groups of people that are going to fight in the modern era. We have been blessed with relative peace and prosperity compared to most of recorded human history. I will remind you since World War II, Europe has been mostly at peace, not in any small part by the fact that the United States government and its military parked itself in Europe and kept it that way. The Cold War could have gone bad at many, many different points, and it didn't because of a lot of mutual assured destruction and the fact that we as America made a commitment to make sure we protected our allies in Europe. Now, let me touch one other thing before I get back to the point on Russia. I understand the social media point that people want to make, and some of them hold this as a very deeply held value, and I respect that. But the buzzword of forever wars is not helpful. It's a security blanket that makes us feel better because we can say something like ending forever wars. I hate to break this to you, but wars are forever because people will inevitably fight. There are bad people in the world. They're going to fight whether you like it or not. The idea of forever wars is an unhelpful buzzword on social media. If you're against war, great. If you're for peace, I'm with you. But that terminology just does not match up in the real world where real things are happening. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. Nor does that mean because if you're not spouting off the buzzword of forever war means that we should be involved in every conflict all the time, nonstop. There's a spectrum between those two points. And we need to be able to have adult conversations about things like prevention, intervention, when we use our military, when we don't use our military, and we need to do it on a real level, not on a buzzword. Let's get some quick points on social media level. But that brings us back to what's going on in Ukraine right now and Russia. There are very prominent people going, that's none of our business. What does it matter? And we need to be very mindful of people that says, well, Vladimir Putin is only trying to do this, that, or the other. Listen, Vladimir Putin has one of the best propaganda arms in all the world, and he has very deep propaganda arms into America. And there are far too many people in America who either willingly or unwittingly like to spout off those very points because of whatever reason they want to. Let me reiterate, you never, under any circumstances, have to hand it to Vladimir Putin. He isn't threatening to invade a country that he has tried repeatedly to take over by other means. Remember, the election of the current president, Zelensky, was a shock to him because the candidate that he wanted to install as a puppet was put down. There has been protests in the Ukraine. The Ukrainian people know better than we do in America, who do not pay great attention to these matters, what they are dealing with. They have lived under this threat for most of their existence since they left the Soviet Union. Vladimir Putin wants to put the Soviet Union back together. He thinks Ukraine is part of theirs. We think the Ukrainians should be able to decide that for themselves, as should the rest of the Russian people. That doesn't mean we go to war with it. That doesn't mean we're going to get involved with troops, although we probably should be giving them military aid as an ally. It doesn't mean that we're going to go into a forever war, which is the nice buzzword everybody wants to deal with. But we need to recognize the reality of the situation. If America does not lead in the world, somebody else will. 
Vladimir Putin would like to, but the paper bear that is Russia doesn't have the ability to do that. So he's trying to make himself look more powerful through other means. China is a threat to do that. They are encroaching all over the world. If America is not leading, somebody else will. So if you're going to argue America shouldn't be involved in anything at all, fine. But you need to acknowledge what's going to happen. Very bad people are going to fill that void. Wars and rumors of wars, forever wars, buzzwords. What does it mean? There's always going to be war. You should work actively to prevent war. And sometimes, even if you don't want to, you need to fight some wars. Because if you put it off, as we've learned all through human history, especially in Eastern Europe, especially with dictatorships, if you put off a smaller conflict in the name of having no conflict, almost without exception, you will wind up with a bigger, badder conflict that will be exponentially worse down the road. It's Hartel Radio for December the 9th, 2021. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Stay with us. Welcome back to Hertel Radio. I'm Andrew Donaldson on this 9th of December, uh, 2021. It's a Thursday. Hope it's going well for you as we start the downhill slope to the end of the week. Um, there's no good way to fire people. Um, I've had to do it as a manager. I didn't like it, uh, but it's part of the gig when you're in the big chair. Uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Uh, even when you're not really firing anybody, but like a job interview, when somebody doesn't get it, breaking the bad news to them, there's a certain way you do these things. You want to do it personally. Uh, you want to be fair to people. You want to give them uh, some honesty, but you also want to give them the respect of treating them as a human being and what for many of those people are a very bad day in their life. Um, I know this from personal experience because I lost a job. Uh, and it turns out to be the last job I had. I was actually on medical leave in the car on the way to the hospital to have what turned out to be life-changing surgery. And they called and let me know that me and 320 odd other people nationwide in the company, uh, our services would no longer be required. And they did that on a Monday morning, about 10 in the morning. Uh, not the way you should probably fire people. It's just the way it works out sometimes. But it's been all over social media and the news media about how one boss fired 900 employees over a Zoom call. Uh, the CEO of what's called Better.com, and that's a startup that deals with things like mortgages and home ownership, based in New York. He had 900 people on a Zoom call, didn't tell them what they were about, and he opened it up with, quote, if you're on this call, you are part of the unlucky group being laid off. Your employment is, your employment here, rather, is terminated, effective immediately. Uh, the entire meeting went about three minutes, and everybody on the meeting found out as soon as the meeting ended that they were locked out of all their accounts, including any ability to discuss what happened and or clean up their affairs. Um, I'm reading now from the BBC, uh, quote, a recording of the call was shared on social media, prompting comments that sacking people this way was cold, harsh and a horrible move, especially in the run up to Christmas. Better.com, which aims to use technology to make home buying process faster and more efficient, uh, confirmed earlier this year that it plans to float the company on the stock market. A deal is likely to value the business, which Mr. Garg, that's the guy that did this call, founded in 2015 at between $6.9 billion and $7.7 billion. Now, again, that's a stock valuation. That's not a company's actual value. Mr. Garg, uh, he is now apologizing for this, but it goes to the heart of something bigger that's happening in America right now. 
Uh, we have a very low unemployment rate, but we have a labor shortage. Now, a lot of people have theories on why that is from people are just too lazy to work to people are demanding better. But there's something to this new social media age, like what Mr. Garg just found out, that people are more aware of their work situations. They're more aware of how their bosses treat them. Uh, the service industry folks had a spotlight on them during COVID-19, and it changed how both employees, employers, and customers all see the valuation of those jobs. Um, working remotely and doing things through Zoom or Skype or, or remotely is just going to be a reality in life going forward. That can be a great thing. Uh, for example, people like me who have uh, health limitations and other limitations, getting to work from home, open the world back up through technology that I can do things like Herd Tell Radio, which I'm doing from my home. Otherwise, I probably couldn't do it at all. But with this technology is also the realization that some of these CEOs and leadership have to change how they do things. Um, my way or the highway doesn't work anymore. Leadership skills are amplified because somebody can take what you're saying and doing and put it out and it can go viral in a moment's notice. The thing is, these issues are not new. This is all just basic human behavior stuff. And management principles don't change. We need to understand the environment we all live in. Uh, these issues are not new, but they're going to be amplified because everybody has a voice now. And it should be used for a greater good because now people can demand better and they can highlight things. And just complaining about the environment that we're living in with this isn't going to do you any good, CEOs and management folks. You're going to have to be better managers and you're going to have to be better CEOs. You're going to have to get your people skills on point because every one of them people now have a media tool outlet in the palm of their hand. They all have cell phones. They all have multiple social media accounts. And in bigger companies, they have things like Slack and other audio things where they're talking constantly and constantly communicating outside of official channels. Folks like the CEOs of Better.com, Mr. Garg, who completely fumbled this, started with a lack of awareness that he's dealing with people and not numbers. Anytime you're dealing with people, you need to use people's skills. And maybe once the viral part of this dies down, folks will realize you can't just do whatever you want as a leader. Your leadership skills are more important than ever. And before you do anything for your bottom line, whether it's a stock option or just manpower management, you need to work on your leadership skills. You'll get more out of your people, you'll get more out of your company, and you'll avoid some really big headaches like what you just created by firing 900 people on a 30-minute Zoom call. There's no good way to fire people. There's no good way to downsize. But there's always the right way to treat people with respect and to treat them as people first and a commodity second. And that's just good business. We'll do more Hertel Radio right after this. with my buddy Brian O'Nolan. He is a professional educator. He is a writer at Ordinary-Times.com. Uh, he is a glutton for punishment doing a daily Advent and Hanukkah piece all the way through Christmas on Ordinary-Times.com and maker of syrup, I believe. Is that not the case? Uh, yep. When the season comes, that'll be about uh, late January, early February. When weather gets right. Make ourselves some maple syrup out of the yard. And that is because he is up in the uh, great north of our country. We won't dox him specifically, but he's basically in Canada south up there. Uh, so 
you have things like uh, maple syrup available to you in its natural environs, not on the shelf, right? Exactly. Yeah, we've got maple trees in the yard, and uh, once the sap gets running, all it, I mean, it's it's a mind-bendingly simple process. You gather the sap, you boil it until it's syrup, and then you put it in a jar. I mean, it's it's my level of uh, culinary output. Yeah, I, we need to do something sometime where we talk about making syrup, and I'll bust out uh, from my Appalachia heritage when we did things like molasses and uh, apple butter and things like that. So. That'd be Definitely. a good, that'd be a good food podcast. Well, speaking of sap, uh, <laughs> you've been working on uh, Christmas songs and your installment over the weekend, you dealt with what you called Christmas songs that are crimes against Christmas and humanity. And uh, I've already read some of these on the show a couple of days ago, but I wanted to have you on to explain yourself, sir. Why were these so bad songs? Well, you know, it, I think it's, as I, as I said in the piece, when you're when someone, an artist is out there and they're writing a song for Christmas, there are only a few possible outcomes. It could be something that is forgettable and nobody ever comes back to it. Or it could be an absolute classic. But when you miss the mark so profoundly as as uh, Paul McCartney did and John Lennon did with these you know i mean they're they're bad for different reasons but they stick in your head and all you i mean all i can ever think about when i hear them is is how awful it is and how it's not going to leave my brain and you know that it when you contrast that with sort of you know advent for you know those of us who you know observe is this sort of really odd time where we're simultaneously expectant we're anticipating you know christmas is coming and then we're nostalgic at the same time so it's got this sort of timeless quality and so i think that's why a lot of these you know that's why we still listen to you know it's the season for listening to bing crosby again who you know hasn't been alive for oh, yeah. 40 years mm-hmm. um and Cole some of that music go ahead night king cole and and those sorts of things it's just it's timeless yeah. And it just exists kind of just in this, this, I mean, yes, you can listen to their music all year, all year round and, and they were amazing artists and there's nothing, you know, sort of pigeonholing about them, but this is when we can, we can put up with, you know, mama got run over by a reindeer, um, you know, some of these sort of corny songs and, and things like that. But then when you get a bunch of kids together and you're, um, you know, uh, your, your wife, who's this artist and you refuse to get out of bed and then you call a press conference and you, and you sing this song that's, you know, so yes, it's Christmas. Well, what have you done? Well, okay. That's a great opening. Um, and the, it's just, it's, it's so awful. And the shrill kids singing in the background and, and, Paul McCartney sounded like he was, you know, locked into the studio and just refused to not come out in an hour without a song. And it was the first thing he thought of. Uh, is, is it, I think part of the thing with these Christmas songs is though, I don't think there's anything worse than forced nostalgia or artificial nostalgia. And the, and the thing when you're dealing with a Christmas song is you're talking about, it's either great or it's awful. And there's not a whole lot of in between. I think that is why, because 
you know, everybody has their own holiday things or Hanukkah or whatever you celebrate. You, th- those are super personal things. So if you don't relate to them in a, in a really real way, either lyrically or musically, uh, it's just, it's going to, it, you've already started out bad. And then when you try to fake lyrics on top of it, it's going to get worse. Is that the problem is you, this is either a real thing or it's not. And the nostalgia, you know, nostalgia comes from a word meaning pain. Uh, it just goes straight to the pain and you don't get any of the memory part because you just can't fake nostalgia very well. Yeah. Either it works or it doesn't. And I think some of those songs um, be, remain current because for some people, they are nostalgic. There are some people who, you know, heard them when they first came out or, and they have just certain memories that are associated with them and it's a positive thing for them. But then, you know, for the rest of us who just can't connect to that. And I think there are some, some Christmas songs have, they, there's more of a universal connection, sort of like, you know, recently we did uh, I'll Be Home for Christmas. And for, you know, and this, like, like you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be Christmas specifically. It can be any holiday or, or family gathering. You know, it could be the 4th of July where families get together and, and, and you associate, the individual associates that time with, family and being there and then you throw in the possibility that you might not be there and dealing with that sort of emotional kind of dealing with the holiday but but the the almost grieving not being there and with obviously with I'll be home for Christmas you get that last line which ended up being the the controversial part of it which is I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams um which led to that song actually being banned by the BBC because they were worried about uh, it being bad for morale. Um, and actually the, the record label, um, Decca Records at the time, I believe, was also hesitant to release that song because of that last line. And eventually, uh, you know, Dear Bingle won out and they got to keep it in. And it became the most requested song at USO shows. And the, both the Army and the Navy had their own kind of, um, I don't mean this in a negative way, but propaganda record labels that they would, you know, send out for, you know, GIs and, and service men and women to listen to while they're deployed. And they both pressed their own versions of I'll Be Home for Christmas because it was it connected that powerfully, but the, it connected to the soldiers, but it connects to anybody who might not be there when the rest of the family's there. Mm. Talking to Brian O'Nolan, writer at Ordinary-Times.com. He's doing a series, a daily series, I should say, of uh, musical songs. Uh, you also, uh, the Beatles are on everybody's mind because of the new documentary that came out on Disney+. Plus. I wrote about it, too. Um, what is it about, because we know, we know Paul McCartney and John Lennon can write great songs. We know they're, you know, may, perhaps the most legendary songwriting duo we have. Uh, their 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 place in musical history is secure, but is is that almost an unfair bar to put on them when they write a bad song, especially a bad Christmas song? And um, wonderful Christmas time is the one that I just want to wreck my car when it comes on the radio. I cannot stand that synthesizer; it just drives me crazy. I know some people like it. This is just my dang you, sir. Dang you, stop it, stop it. No, but but that one and and I don't like John Lennon for all kinds of reasons because I think he should have just been banned from humanity after he did Imagine, which is the worst song to ever be written ever. Amen, brother. Amen. But um, but is to be fair to them though, is that part of it because 
they were in their kind of lost years. Paul McCartney did a lot of really good, interesting music since then. And and during that time, I thought wing, his wing stuff was great. So it's not like they can't do it. Is it just we're holding them to a really, really high standard? And then when they do something that bad, it just makes it all the more bad because we know they can do better. Yes. And then I think it, it and it is it is an unfair standard. Um, although I don't think, you know, I think if you ask uh, Sir Paul, I think, you know, he'll he'll look around and say that, uh, you know, he came out the better for it. Um, but I think it's it's that unfair. It's that standard of, hey, look, we know you can write yesterday. We know you can write just really great, powerful. You can write Hey Jude. Wonderful Christmas time. And I think it's the combination of what we were talking about before, where it's the it's not catching the nostalgia correctly and we know what you're capable of you know it's not it's not brian o'nolan releases bad christmas song it's paul mccartney and wings and we know that you know the man is incredibly talented and you know there's there's really not enough good to say about just if just in the music writing um and being able to catch the moment with a song or a melody and yeah, I mean, I think they it's it's a little bit of paying for all the success with when you miss, you miss big. It's like it, you know, think of uh, think of athletes who are at the top of their game, um, but they they miss that NBA Finals winning shot, and everyone's like, oh, you know. Yeah, it's a Chris Weber calling a timeout that he didn't have that sort of thing. We're yes. uh, and you know the thing about that documentary that blew me away, and I actually wrote about it at Ordinary Times too, is the fact that they're having this argument over something that would never happen, trying to put this concert together and, and the super, and he's sitting in the corner writing, let it be. And nobody's paying a lick of attention to it. Like this iconic song. And he's just sitting there banging it out. And everybody's like, doesn't even realize they got greatness in their midst. We're talking to Brian O'Nolan uh, on Herd Tell radio. We're going to continue to talk about bad Christmas music, especially what he says is the worst Christmas song may perhaps the worst song ever. And we'll bring that up right after this. Stay with us. Now let me see you go off like a bomb. Yo, and we're back talking to our friend Brian O'Nolan from Ordinary-Times.com, a, a very gifted and talented writer. Make sure you're following him on Twitter and on the website because he does great stuff. But um you really waded into it, my friend, with your recent writing on Christmas and your Advent series, because you touched on what I think you called it one of the worst songs ever. I call it perhaps one of the worst uh, human things that has ever happened that didn't involve somebody physically dying and or being injured. Uh, let's talk about uh, feeding kids in Africa musically. Uh, it did not go well, my friend. So I'm just going to let did. you... I'm just going to let you run with the ball because you did a lyrical breakdown on this thing. It's almost like the old VH1 song where they had the pop-up video. Yep. Um, you just excoriated this thing. You gutted it like a fish. Uh, but I'll just let you talk about it. Uh, tell me about Do They Know It's Christmas? Oh, it's so painful. I mean, you've got something that is very well-intentioned. Um, it's let's see if we can raise some money for starving impoverished people in Africa. And there, and you like, honestly, there is, 
it, it doesn't matter which group of starving impoverished people, as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's really no greater, uh, you know, charitable call than something like that. And you, you get these artists together in England somewhere, probably London, I don't know exactly, but it was somewhere in Britain. And the story goes, and I, I, I don't know the veracity of this, and, and I'm always afraid every time I say this, that someone's going to know what I'm talking about and say, actually, that wasn't an un unknown band. That was Duran Duran that did that or something like that. But some band- Oh, no, not Duran Duran. What do we do? I know. They were using drugs? No. Um, but somebody came in, and you've got all these artists there and writers, and you've got just, you know, you've got an immense amount of talent, and somebody brought in an enormous bag of cocaine, and the coke took over i think um it you've got a song that is i mean it's it's musically not that it, it's musically not that creative you know if you had if you stuck somebody in a in a studio for six months and said hey can you write something that's catchy and, and any one of those people that was you know involved in this probably could have written something better in that time you know maybe too many too many chefs or something but you've got these lyrics that are ignorant um, at times borderline racist. Um, it's, it's all about, think about the other person. And it's sort of like, it's almost dehumanizing the, the, the literally othering money for. Yeah. They literally othering because they wrote the lyrics as others. <laughs> yeah. Think about, think about the others. And it's not like, Hey, you can connect to these people. What if this was, you know, and then when they get to the, what if this was you, it's, it's, and I really feel bad because you know, I'll get into it in a second, but it, it, in the mouth of Bono, who has done so much for, uh, you know, he has put his, his money and his reputation where his mouth is when it comes to, you know, impoverished people in Africa. And he is the one who gets the, thank God it's them and not you line. Which is just where, I mean, that is, that's just the, the killer there. I mean, he, he is somebody that, and when I say he put his reputation on his line, um, it was sometime in the middle 2000s, I remember U2 was touring, and he had the, uh, putting up the scare quotes, audacity to get on the microphone and say, hey, I want to thank your president, George W. Bush, for um, his efforts at mitigating AIDS in Africa. And he got resoundingly booed by the audience for having named George W. Bush. You know, how, how dare a, a pop artist say something nice about that guy? But he was, you know, he's genuinely saying, hey, look, may not agree on politics, but this person did something good. Want right. to thank him. And he's the one who gets the thank God it's them and not you. Um, it, it, not even I mean, we can we can get into the, the weather because apparently there's no there's no snow at all in Africa. Um, which is going to be news to some people. Um, and there's no rain and there's no water, um, despite the Congo being an enormous rainforest. Um, it's this very, very stereotyped view of the continent of Africa, which is, I mean, environmentally, culturally, an incredibly diverse place. And, you know, there are certainly plenty of parts of it that you look at and say, okay, we you know, some charity would be a good injection here, but it's just, and it's very eighties, you know, it's this, I, sometimes I, I, I have this little hobby horse where I feel like 
Western pop music discovers different continents at different times. And it was like the early 80s, they discovered that Africa existed. And you had, you know, not only did you have world music, but you had, you know, aid for Africa and things like that. Sometime in the 60s, they discovered India existed. Um, and that became the, the thing. But um, uh, I'm digressing here. But it's just, it's so, you know, when you take something that's supposed to be open-hearted and charitable and then you pack these lyrics in that are not intentionally bigoted and awful but they, they are it just it's the worst yeah and uh when you go into the character of some of the people involved there which we won't do here there there were some real questionable human beings singing some of those lyrics oh yeah but, um let me put you on the spot though just on a happier note because we've been bashing chris with you but You've covered a lot of good music. You're covering, um, and you've got some upcoming stuff. You got the hip hop one coming up soon. I'm going to really get into because we get to talk about Christmas and Hollis and how that opened up and set the table for Die Hard. But we'll get into that some other time. But yeah. between classic music, modern music, you've covered a lot of sacred music. You even covered some Hanukkah music. Um, what what is good Christmas music in the uh, Brian O'Nolan household? What what is it that gets you all merry and bright up there while you're birch bending and sap making and whatever it is it is you do up there? Because I, I know you also do some outdoor culinary stuff. So what is it that gets you uh, merry and bright in the holiday season? You know, at this point, you know, when being a father and having kids, it's when one of my kids comes in. We've got a we've got a Sonos. Uh, system in the house and now uh, when one of my sons comes in and just starts putting on christmas music um because it's it's being driven by the kids it's being driven by that next generation and it just you know it's just like that that gets me from a dad perspective um musically i i am i i cast a wide net and I really, as people have probably picked up from the, the first week, and you'll be seeing a little bit more of it next week, where the theme is sort of uh, a little bit more traditional. Um, I like sort of the traditional folk Christmas ways that we, we sometimes see, whether it's, um, whether it's English folk music or something going back to, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, actually Appalachia has a, a great folk music tradition that goes back a long time and has a lot of interesting music that we don't yes, necessarily... We do. That, that doesn't necessarily get pulled into, you know, you get sacred songs about Christmas, but because they were, you know, sung up in the hollers, a lot of people haven't necessarily heard of them, but why not bring that back? So I think part of what I'm, what I like about this series is giving folks some things that are familiar and then some things that might not be familiar, things they've heard and enjoy and feel all warm and fuzzy on. And then some other things that might give them some avenues to explore um, cause this is such a, it's such a musical time and so musically associated that, um, just a little celebration and a little, um, you know, cause for getting our brains thinking a little bit more about why we do the things we do, why we like the things we like and why these songs are important to us or why they annoy the heck out of us. Yeah. Uh, Brian O'Nolan, it's great stuff. Let folks know where they can find you and uh, tell them about your writing a little bit, your Twitter and all that, so they can start taking in all this joyous knowledge that you put out at Ordinary Times and other places for the folks, because I sure appreciate you as a writer, not just as a colleague, but let folks know where they can find you, my friend. Sure. Um, I am at Twitter at Brian O'Nolan. That's Brian with a Y. Um, 
I can also be find, found at uh, ordinary-times.com where uh, when I'm not writing um, Christmas about Christmas Advent songs, I am often writing absolutely absurd tales about uh, my my youth growing up with uh, Mike Pence, and uh, which absolutely never happened, but I like to pretend that it did, and uh, our many misadventures. Yep. And we will definitely have you back on as soon as I find time in the next day or two uh, to rebut your scurrilous attack on Christmas Time is Here, famous jazz song from the Peanuts. And I will uh, I will deal with you then. And uh, you will have to stand and deliver for your um, I don't even have a word right now, your insipidness of daring. So We will have words. I'll be, my I'll be ready to take it. We will be having words, my friend. We'll have you back soon. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. More Hertel Radio right after this. It's Hertel Radio, and we're back talking to our friend Brian O'Nolan from Ordinary-Times.com, a, a very gifted and talented writer. Make sure you're following him on Twitter and on the website because he does great stuff. But um, you really waded into it, my friend, with your recent writing on Christmas and your Advent series because you touched on what I think you called it one of the worst songs ever. I call it perhaps one of the worst uh, human things that has ever happened that didn't involve somebody physically dying and or being injured. Uh, let's talk about uh, feeding kids in Africa musically. Uh, it did not go well, my friend. So I'm just going to let did. you I'm just going to let you run with the ball because you did a lyrical breakdown on this thing. It's almost like the old VH1 song where they had the pop up video. Yeah. Um, you just excoriated this thing. You gutted it like a fish. Uh, but I'll just let you talk about it. Uh, tell me about do they know it's Christmas? Oh, it's so painful. I mean, you've got something that is very well intentioned. Um, it's let's see if we can raise some money for starving, impoverished people in Africa. And there, and you like, honestly, there is, it, it doesn't matter which group of starving, impoverished people, as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's really no greater, uh, you know, charitable call than something like that. And you, you get these artists together in England somewhere, probably London, I don't know exactly, but it was somewhere in Britain. And the story goes, and I, I, I don't know the veracity of this, and, and I'm always afraid every time I say this, that someone's going to know what I'm talking about and say, actually, that wasn't an un unknown band. That was Duran Duran that did that or something like that. But some band. Oh, no, not Duran Duran. What do we do? I know they were using drugs. No, um, but somebody came in and you've got all these artists there and writers and you've got just, you know, you've got an immense amount of talent. And somebody brought in an enormous bag of cocaine and the Coke took over, I think. Um, it, you've got a song that is, I mean, it's, it's musically not that, it, it's musically not that creative. You know, if you, had, if you stuck somebody in a, in a studio for six months and said, hey, can you write something that's catchy? And, and any one of those people that was, you know, involved in this probably could have written something better in that time you know, maybe too many, too many chefs or something, but you've got these lyrics that are ignorant, um, at times borderline racist. Um, 
it's it's all about think about the other person and it's sort of like it's almost dehumanizing the the, the literally othering money for yeah they literally othering because they wrote the lyrics as others <laughs> yeah think about think about the others and it's not like hey you can connect to these people what if this was you know and then when they get to the what if this was you it's it's and i really feel bad because you know, i'll get into it in a second but it, it, in the mouth of bono who has done so much for uh, you know, he has put his his money and his reputation where his mouth is when it comes to, you know, impoverished people in Africa. And he is the one who gets the thank God it's them and not you line, which is just where I mean, that is that's just the the killer there. I mean, he he is somebody that and when I say he put his reputation on his line, um, it was sometime in the middle 2000s. I remember you two were touring and he had the. Uh, putting up the scare quotes audacity to get on the microphone and say, Hey, I want to thank your president, George W. Bush for um, his efforts at mitigating AIDS in Africa. And he got resoundingly booed by the audience for having named George W. Bush. You know, how, how dare a, a pop artist say something nice about that guy, but he was, you know, he's genuinely saying, Hey, look, may not agree on politics, but this person did something good. Want right. to thank him. And he's the one who gets the, thank God it's them and not you. Um, it, it, not even, I mean, we can, we can get into the, the weather because apparently there's no, there's no snow at all in Africa, um, which is going to be news to some people. Um, and there's no rain and there's no water, um, despite the Congo being an enormous rainforest. Um, it's this very, very stereotyped view of, the continent of Africa, which is, I mean, environmentally, culturally, an incredibly diverse place. And, you know, there are certainly plenty of parts of it that you look at and say, okay, you know, some charity would be a good injection here, but it's just, and it's very eighties, you know, it's this, I, sometimes I, I, I have this little hobby horse where I feel like Western pop music discovers different continents at different times. And it was like the early eighties, they discovered that Africa existed and you had, you know, not only did you have world music, but you had, you know, aid for Africa and things like that. Sometime in the sixties, they discovered India existed. Um, and that became the, the thing, but um, uh, I'm digressing here, but it's just, it's so, you know, when you take something that's supposed to be, open-hearted and charitable and then you pack these lyrics in that are not intentionally bigoted and awful but they, they are it just it's the worst yeah and uh when you go into the character of some of the people involved there which we won't do here there there were some real questionable human beings singing some of those lyrics oh yeah but, um let me put you on the spot though just on a happier note because we've been bashing chris with you but You've covered a lot of good music you're covering um, and you've got some upcoming stuff. You got the hip hop one coming up soon. I'm going to really get into because we get to talk about Christmas and Hollis and how that opened up and set the table for Die Hard. But we'll get into that some other time. But yeah. between classic music, modern music, you've covered a lot of sacred music. You even covered some Hanukkah music. Um, what What is good Christmas music in the uh, Brian O'Nolan household? What What is it that gets you all merry and bright up there while you're birch bending and sap making and whatever it is it is you do up there? Because I, I know you also do some outdoor culinary stuff. So what is it that gets you uh, merry and bright in the holiday season? You know, at this point, you know, 
when being a father and having kids, it's when one of my kids comes in, we've got a, we've got a Sonos uh, system in the house. And uh, when one of my sons comes in and just starts putting on Christmas music um, because it's, it's being driven by the kids, it's being driven by that next generation. And it just, you know, it's just like that, that gets me from a dad perspective. Um, musically, I, I am, I, I cast a wide net and I really, as people have probably picked up from the, the first week and you'll be seeing a little bit more of it next week where the theme is sort of uh, a little bit more traditional. Um, I like sort of the traditional folk Christmas ways that we, we sometimes see, whether it's, um, whether it's English folk music or something going back to, um, you know, sort of, uh, you know, actually Appalachia has a, a great folk music tradition that goes back a long time and has a lot of interesting music that we don't yes, necessarily, we do. that, that doesn't necessarily get pulled into, you know, you get sacred songs about Christmas, but because they were, you know, sung up in the hollers, a lot of people haven't necessarily heard of them, but why not bring that back? So I think part of what I'm, what I like about this series is giving folks some things that are familiar and then some things that might not be familiar, things they've heard and enjoy and feel all warm and fuzzy on. And then some other things that might give them some avenues to explore. Um, Cause this is such a, it's such a musical time and so musically associated that um, just a little celebration and a little, um, you know, cause for getting our brains thinking a little bit more about why we do the things we do, why we like the things we like and why these, songs are important to us or why they annoy the heck out of us. Yeah. Uh, Brian O'Nolan, it's great stuff. Let folks know where they can find you and uh, tell them about your writing a little bit, your Twitter and all that. So they can start taking in all this joyous knowledge that you put out at ordinary times and other places for the folks, because I sure appreciate you as a writer, not just as a colleague, but let folks know where they can find you, my friend. Sure. Um, I am at Twitter at Brian O'Nolan. That's Brian with a Y. Um, I can also be find, found at uh, ordinary-times.com where uh, when I'm not writing um, Christmas about Christmas Advent songs, I am often writing absolutely absurd tales about uh, my, my youth growing up with uh, Mike Pence, and uh, which absolutely never happened, but I like to pretend that it did and uh, are many misadventures. Yep. And we will definitely have you back on as soon as I find time in the next day or two uh, to rebut your scurrilous attack on Christmas Time is Here, famous jazz song from the Peanuts. And I will uh, I will deal with you then. And uh, you will have to stand and deliver for your um, I don't even have a word right now, your insipidness of daring. So we will have words. I'll be, my I'll friend. be ready to take it. We will be having words, my friend. We'll have you back soon. Thank you very much for your time today, sir. Appreciate you. Thanks for having me. All right. More Hertel Radio right after this. Back to Hertel Radio. Thank you for spending an hour of your day with us as we go through some of the news media stories and news cycle noise and try to turn it down and get to the information we need for our lives to know what's really going on. Uh, social media viral pictures of a flaming Christmas tree in New York City have come and gone. You could basically just put metaphor alert in front of this because it is the Christmas tree out in front of the News Corps building 
in Midtown Manhattan, New York City. That is, of course, parent company of Fox and Fox News. So you can imagine the things that were being said. Uh, the good news is this wasn't actually a tree. Uh, it's a framework made to look like a tree. So it burned it down to the bare metal about halfway down. And uh, the suspect that has been arrested in what is being called arson is apparently a, a known uh, emotionally disturbed person who has issues and who is up on various charges. And they say it caused about $500,000 of damage all told. Uh, luckily, nobody was hurt. Don't burn things up. That's no good. On the plus side, if News Corps wants a Festivus poll, good to go now. You're already down to the bare metal. Thank you for listening to Herd Tell today. That'll do it for Herd Tell Radio. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Wherever you are, however you're listening, whether it's on the streaming services, the iPod, uh, Big Talker FM at 6 a.m. and the replays are at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. If you want to watch on their Facebook feed, on their app, or the Listen Live tab on the BigTalkerFM.com website, uh, we sure appreciate our partnership with them. Uh, don't miss tomorrow's show. Uh, Eric Garcia, uh, Congressional Reverse correspondent with the independent we're going to talk a little bit of bob dole on the day that america honors him along with the news and topics of the day wherever you are we hope you and yours are well we hope you're well fed till we talk to you tomorrow y'all take care all the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.